is the Faith in Angels Hospice Podcast. Over a decade of trust and service in our community. Each week, we'll talk about our experiences in the hospice field and provide a little education along the way. Have a listen and enjoy. Hello, everyone. My name is Haik Manassian. I'm the provider liaison for Faith in Angels Hospice. Uh, we're a hospice agency that's been around for going on over 10 years now. Um, and we've noticed that there's a lot of questions, a lot of concerns, <clears throat> a lot of uh, lack of education around the hospice field. So I'm joined here by our case manager, Cecilia Ibarra. Hello. And director of patient care services, Alejandra Flores. Hello. And we want to do this uh, weekly podcast for you. Uh, give you as much education we can and also just kind of behind the scenes of what it's like to be involved in hospice care. We'll have a revolving door of guests and um, some of those guests will be employees, part of the agency. Some of those will be guests from other agencies or uh, facilities we work with. But uh, we hope you tune in and learn some things about hospice and get to know us, really. Uh, So... Being that it is the first episode, uh, the first question, there's a lot of healthcare agencies, like I said, home health, boarding care, assisted living, skilled nursing. So we're hospice. So let's just start with what is hospice? I think Cecilia will take that. Yes. um, So hospice is a program. It's a form of healthcare um, that prioritizes the needs of a patient at the end of their life. And when we say end of life, what is, what constitutes, what's the criteria for end of life? So the end of life, um, end of life, um, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Basically end of life means when a patient is, um, at its last six months of a terminal diagnosis. And usually that is, um, something that a doctor has to make that decision. So it could be for any type of um, disease such as Alzheimer's, CHF, COPD, could be a kidney disease. So when a doctor deems a patient um, that has six months or less, that's considered end of life. And that's usually when they refer them to hospice. Right. And we attend to the patient's emotional needs, spiritual needs, their physical needs, all aspects of the patient's care. And that's really one of the more important things. It's not, hospice care isn't really just about the patient, is it? You guys are also taking into account the patient's family and everything like that. Absolutely. Right. right. So, I mean, some ways that the hospice takes care of the patient's families are providing grief support or bereavement services, but also um, providing things like respite care. Yes, we are what you call an interdisciplinary team of doctors nurses, social workers, spiritual coordinators, we have CHHAs. So we try to make sure that we capture all of the needs, not just of the patient, but of the family as well. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because sometimes when the family is the caregiver, it can get very daunting on the family member who's taking care of them. They, not only is the care itself daunting on the family member, but the, in the process of taking care of their loved one, they inevitably neglect other necessities of life and so in these instances respite care would could come into play and give some uh you know give the family caretaker a break for it's five days i believe it is correct for five days so the family can honestly just get some rest and take care of the other things that they need to take care of while the loved one is 
being taken care of at a let's say skilled nursing facility right by right. some professionals that's, that's very important it's um, very difficult for families especially um it's it, be, it can become overwhelming for them so i think respite care is a a good program for them to get into it you know for the hospice to to help the families um like you said have a break so along with that kind of just to go you know that's kind of the cursory definition of what a hospice is but there are many myths and falsehoods about what a hospice is so we could take this time to debunk some of those myths uh so one of them is that you can't keep your own doctor if you enter a hospice program Hmm. that (laughs) is uh not true actually um if so this is where it gets a little complicated so when we're doing an explanation of benefits or an evaluation for patient a lot of the patients or the families want to keep their primary care physician and they can however it is up to the primary care physician to decide to follow the patient Mm. because if they do decide to follow patient with hospice that means that the physician has to do home visits or they have to follow the patient wherever the patient goes whether it's an assisted living facility, a skilled nursing facility, or their home. And most of the doctors are too busy caring for their own patients. So sometimes the doctor will say, I am not going to follow the patient, unfortunately, because he's too busy. Um, Go ahead and go with their hospice doctor, but I would like some updates occasionally. Mm. So they would want to know, how is my patient doing? And the case manager, in this case, Cecilia, will update the doctor as to the condition of the patient. Right, we'll have Mm -hmm. uh, communication with all all physicians if needed. if requested by the patient or the family. So in those cases where the patient's uh, doctor doesn't uh, follow through, which doctor is it that follows them? Is it the hospice physician? Right, it's our medical director. Okay, so the hospice mm-hmm. and house medical director will follow the patient through if the patient's exactly. We also doesn't. have a designee. So right. if our medical director is not available, then the designee would follow. But really the important part is that patients or families don't have to feel like they are forced to leave the doctor that they're used no. to. It's just no. a matter they can totally keep the doctor that they have. That's it's just correct. a matter of the doctor chooses to follow through with that patient. Right. So how about uh, once you choose a hospice care, there is no turning back? No. That's not entirely true, no. <laughs> okay. It just depends on the uh, disease process of the patient. Obviously, some diseases such as cancer, if it's a terminal cancer that has metastasized, those are diseases that usually don't revert back to a baseline. And unfortunately, those patients do end up dying. But there are patients, say, for instance, that come onto hospice with a COPD exacerbation where they meet the criteria or the LCD guidelines. They are having shortness of breath. They do require oxygenation. They cannot walk. They can't continue with their activities of daily living. So they do qualify for hospice during that exacerbation. And they come onto hospice for the first 90-day certification. But say, for instance, after that, they start becoming a little bit more independent, less dependent on oxygen, so we have to kind of um, disqualify, not disqualify them, but... We say graduate. Graduate from hospice. Mm. So they go on to their regular care physician and they continue on. So yes, there are cases where patients do um, go back to their regular care. And I can see where that could be like something concerning for the families when they're making that decision just because they feel like, hey, once I go hospice, you can't go back. And it's obviously not true. So that's Mm -hmm. something that should kind of give them a little bit of relief to know that it's not some ultimate decision. And that is where a very thorough evaluation, mm-hmm. explanation of benefits come into mm-hmm. play. Yeah. Uh, how about if you choose hospice care, you won't get other medical care? No, that's not true. 
Um, a lot of our patients, if if um, they're signed up with us with a certain diagnosis, um, anything relating outside of that diagnosis, they can continue definitely to get care on those um, healthcare issues. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of patients that have like multiple comorbidities. So say for instance, there's a case with a patient with Alzheimer's mm -hmm. or Parkinson's, ALS, MS, any type of neurological disease. And say for instance, that is their diagnosis that is admitting them into hospice. That specialty or that doctor, they can no longer go see. We take on all of their care. But if they have other diseases, say like um, kidney disease or they're on dialysis, they can continue on dialysis. If they see an endocrinologist, they can continue with that other doctor. If they have any cardiac issues, they can continue seeing their cardiologist, but they have to forgo or they have to stop seeing the admitting diagnosis disease. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that is not true. And I get that question asked a lot with um, a lot Good. of patients. Well, that's what we're doing, right? Debunking myths. Yes, sir. Um, so here's another myth for you. Hospice happens at a hospital or hospice facility. That's incorrect. So uh, patients are being seen. I guess it's not seen. entirely correct. Right, yeah. right. It does happen, obviously. Uh, but the patient can be at home, at assisted living, boarding care, um, ALF. I mean, um, you name it. Wherever the patient resides, we, we will follow them. And who makes that choice? Does the patient choose where they want to be yes, taken care of? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Okay. I think yes, and also um, it depends also on, say we, we've had cases where the patient wants to go home, but unfortunately the environment or the family support is not there. So we also have to be realistic with the um, right. That's true. with the expectations. So even if a patient wants to go home, say for instance he's an 85 year old patient, and he only lives with his wife. His wife also has her own health conditions, mm -hmm. and she's not able to care for this right. patient. It becomes a safety. It issue. It becomes a safety issue, and also it, so it's something that we coordinate. If the patient's at the hospital and needs to be discharged, this is where the case manager, like for instance Cecilia, as well as the discharge case manager at the hospital, have to kind of um, we work coordinate mm -hmm, mm -hmm, coordinate together. to make mm -hmm. sure that the patient's safe. And is if wherever it is that he goes, willing to get the best care. Yeah. Uh, how about uh, hospice care is only for people with a few days or weeks to live? Hmm. I would say yes and no. It just depends. We've had patients that um, uh, are on service for like two, three days, and then they go on and they pass away. And we've had patients who have been with us for months to years still meet mm -hmm. the criteria for hospice so that's not entirely true unfortunately the doctors don't have a crystal ball they can go based on past medical history on any disease process and say based on what i am seeing today this patient has six months or less so let's go ahead and refer him to hospice right but we have patients that don't always pass after six months right mm -hmm. and that's why you have the uh, certification periods the first 90 days we have to after the second 90 day certification a doctor has to go see the patient and make sure that the patient still meets the criteria. Right, right. Um, how about this one? Referral for hospice must come from a doctor. Um, I think ultimately the referral does have to um, come, or the certification for hospice um, criteria does have to come from the hospice, uh, from the physician, either primary care physician, hospitalist. Mm -hmm. It has to be an MD. However, um, we've had instances where we have patients that are receiving chemotherapy. They have cancer with mes uh, metastatic cancer, and they're just 
done. They don't want to continue with uh, chemo treatment. Mm-hmm. So they can refer themselves into hospice, but ultimately that referral has to be given by the doctor or the doctor right. has to see the patient and mm-hmm. determine that the patient is appropriate for hospice. Mm. Mm-hmm. But then, so how does a self-referral work? The patient would, the patient would request that their doctor refer them? Yes, yeah, so they can right. ask the oncologist okay. or they can, or we have our own physicians that can go and see the patients. Ah, okay. Um, doctors will decide which hospice patient which hospice the patient goes to no um the family can choose if if the the uh, physician can recommend hospice or a, a company but uh ultimately it will be the patients or the family's decisions at the end of the day whether they want to go with this hospice or another that's been my understanding that if the patient's at a hospital um or i think even a skilled nursing facility and if it does come time for hospice referral. The doctor makes that determination. Usually they, they give them a list, right? They give them a list of, of hospices and say, here's some hospices that you can choose from. Obviously, you can choose from outside that list if you know of mm-hmm. one that you'd like to go to. But at the end of the day, ultimately, it is the patient and family's choice. Right. That's correct. And and we also recommend, obviously, uh, families to, to do their research on hospice companies if um, so they can see the differences in, in each one. Um, and choose the one that best fits them. So here's another myth. Uh, hospice always provides 24-hour care. Correct. That is correct. Every hospice should provide 24-hour care, or right. at least have a nurse on call. But I think the myth is uh-huh. in regards to the fact that the ho- that hospice provides right. round-the-clock like, care. Oh, you mean like bedside care? Like Absol- bedside care, no, you no. mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. No. no. There are different levels of um, hospice care. Again, depends on the patient and the patient's needs. So I think what you're referring to is something called critical care, which is 24-7, seven hours, which is 24-7 care, which is basically mm-hmm. when a patient has a lot of symptoms, say, for instance, he is having extreme pain or respiratory exacerbation, or he's just at his end, um, end of lifetime, at that time, we do normally have a 24-7 care nurse managing the symptoms and making right. sure that we're also offering support to the family because they don't know what's going on. Right. So we want to make sure mm-hmm. that we send uh, someone that's experienced with hospice, usually one of our nurses, that's going to be lending that support during the most difficult time of a patient's life. Right. Because I can see how if, uh, if a patient or a family doesn't know that mm-hmm. and they get admitted into hospice... And let's say they're residing at home and a nurse comes to visit and does uh, and the nurse does their evaluation for that day. And then when they're getting ready to leave, the family might be like, well, what do you mean you're leaving? This is hospice. You're supposed to stay here forever. You know no, I mean? no, no. Well, that's usually clarified during an evaluation. That's why evaluations and explanation of benefits are so, so important so that the family understands before they take the patient home. If he is going home on hospice, they understand the levels of care mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how they change or how they could change. Yeah. And normally that 24-7 care is reserved for end of life. Yeah. During that critical phase when we know that the patient's going to expire. When the symptoms are not being managed. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Next one is that a DNR is required. Mm, no, DNRs are not required. Um, it's the family's choice or, or the patient's choice whether they want to be full code or, or DNR. So why don't you, for those who don't know, uh, explain what DNR DNI and full code are, and that we could talk about that. Well, do not resuscitate, meaning that you don't want any type of um, 
interve heroic interventions. DNIs do not intubate, meaning that some patients may want to have chest compressions or the most minim minimally invasive type of a uh, chest compression, say for instance, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be anything too invasive. So DNI would be do not intubate. So go ahead and do chest compressions, but do not intubate. Or mm -hmm. sometimes they'll say do chest compressions, but don't shock me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is um, we have to be doing constant education, both for the family and the patient. If the patient is um, alert and oriented, it's a very, very difficult discussion. And this is where our social worker comes in. Because mm -hmm. sometimes they do want to be full code. But and that means what? That means full code means do everything, meaning okay. intubation, shock, and compressions. But one of the things that we do, um, we do explain to a lot of our patients is I worked in the emergency room for almost eight years, and I did a lot of chest compressions. So with chest compression, especially on a frail patient mm -hmm. with multiple comorbidities, um, the chances of them surviving post-CPR, I think it's like 17%. And even if they do survive, um, there will be very minimal comfort because we do sometimes crack the ribs, puncture the lungs. So it's a pretty bad scenario after CPR. But if you educate the patient and you explain to them, they will most likely choose right. DNR. It can be a very traumatic mm -hmm. uh, situation for a family mm -hmm. member to experience that. So we also want to prepare them for the worst mm -hmm. and let them know that this can happen. You know, if, if they choose to be full code, it's their choice, absolutely. Um, but at the end of the day, we, it's all about quality of life. So. Yeah. So the other myth that I'm seeing here is that once you're admitted into hospice, you have to discontinue all medications. Oh, no, that's not true. Mm -mm. That's actually, we get that all the time. I think one of the... Um, that goes around a lot on social media it's like oh my mom was in hospice they discontinued all their medications they just gave her morphine and Ativan right, right. that is not true right. at all again every patient comes with a different disease process mm -hmm. uh, now there are some patients say for instance they come um, come into our care and multi-pharmacy is a big thing so they come in with like 25 different medications the patient mm -hmm. is completely lethargic, mm -hmm. has hypotension, and yet he's taking like three antidepressants, taking like four hypertensive medications that haven't been revised. So in that instance, of course, we're gonna take a look at the medications. The doctor will, and based on the doctor's assessment, he may say, well, maybe she doesn't need so many antidepressants. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the reason why they're so lethargic. Mm. And that once we start revising their medications, we don't just take them out. Remember, it's comfort care. If a patient has um, breathing treatments for comfort, we're not just going to take those away. We're, the patient needs those medications. If a patient has, say, for instance, hypertension, we're mm -hmm. not just going to take their hypertensive medications. They're going to keep them because they need it. It's for comfort. Mm -hmm. um, we may even have patients that are end-of-life care, but they develop some kind of a pneumonia. We will treat the pneumonia. So that is entirely false. I'm pretty sure most likely where that little misconception came from is the fact that there are certain medications that the hospice patient can't get for instance like uh curative medications oh, or life-saving sure. medications so for instance if you're a cancer patient on hospice mm -hmm. i mean you can't get chemotherapy that's you true can't get oral chemotherapy that or anything else. but but the myth is in regards to a complete and total discontinuation of all meds right. which is incorrect because no, obviously at the end of at the end of life period is probably when you need you know, um, pain cessation most. Mm -hmm. And like you said, other things like a breathing apparatus or medication in regards to that. So yeah, that's an entirely false myth. It is. But uh, you are correct in the, um, uh, when it, if we do have a cancer patient who has made a decision to come into hospice care and is comes into our care with chemotherapeutic drugs or receiving 
um, chemo radiation, it is true that if their admitting diagnosis is cancer, they can no longer continue with any type of curative medications or interventions, treatments, such mm -hmm. as chemo or radiation. Yeah. So along with that, what is something in your experience mm -hmm. uh, as difficult as a process as hospice care is for patients and families? What's something that the families can do um, to make that part of life a little more easier on the on their loved one in your experience um just their overall support and love you know being there just to, to take care of them at the ends ends of their stages of their life is is very difficult in a lot of aspects but also um therapeutic you know uh, being able to have your loved one at at home or wherever they might be and, and being there for them, just being there for them is very important. And yep. it's, 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 it's uh, an experience. It's very difficult. I think for, it's very difficult, obviously for the patient because the patient is having all the symptoms, having to deal with the fact that um, his life is limited. But I think also for the family, and this is where our spiritual coordinating team and our social workers come in to help out and they're constantly in touch with our patients making sure that they're you know psychologically they're doing okay so we're checking in on them on a consistent basis um, but it's a very difficult task for the family nonetheless but I think um, that's the nice thing about having our interdisciplinary um, team if I don't catch if I catch something if I'm seeing a patient and I notice that um, the family members withdrawn I will call our social worker and say go ahead and give them a call I think they're they might need a um, a little some support support and so it's just making sure that the family's doing okay hmm. and um, that we're meeting all of their needs both psychologically and medically for the patient is there ever a time where you find that the patient's family is uh, maybe because they're tr I don't know how to word it but almost like they're trying to do too much mm, intervention wise medically yeah. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. We that's actually mm -hmm. we find it all. We, that's it's very normal, very obviously, common. because mm -hmm. um, you know the patient might be dying, and and maybe denial may be a key in that as well. They're going through their emotions, and you know they're trying to do whatever they can to to help that patient because they don't know if they have any, you know, any. Um, how <laughs> how would I word it? Uh, like any chances to continue on living? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they want to do anything they can to help that yeah. patient, and and you know it's it's yeah. okay. I it's think I, yeah, and I think as hospice nurses and hospice staff, we need to remember that this is someone's mother, someone's brother, exactly. someone's sister. To us, it's just right, a it's patient. Personal to them. So we need to make sure that, and that's why it's important to make sure we we're always hiring quality nurses. And we're constantly training them to make mm -hmm. sure that they understand that this is a, a person's loved one. Um, so then, yeah, just I think education is key and making sure that our social workers are always on top of um, um, on top of our patients is very important. Because you as a nurse, when you admit patients, you at that stage kind of go over that 
yes. material. That's like a, one of the most crucial points where you have that interaction with the family and go right. over everything, isn't it? It is, but remember also that at that initial conversation, the patient is extremely stressed out. They just received the news that their father, their mother, their brother, their son, or whomever this loved one is, is um, going to require hospice or has been referred to hospice. So it's very shocking. A lot of people will, the, min- the minute they hear the word hospice, they're thinking death. Yeah. So when we have that initial conversation, may, probably like 5% of the information I'm giving them is being processed. So it's const- continuously educating, educating, educating. Yeah, that, that makes total mm-hmm. sense. Um, okay, I think that's a great first episode, very educational. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll come back next week and uh, revisit some other topics. Thank you, guys. Thank All right. you. Have a good one.